RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. get started good morning good afternoon i'm not sure what part of the day it is but hello um my name is Lindsay slocum i'm one of the pastors here at russell presbyterian church and every week we spend time with the preacher today we're with our senior pastor jeff myers talking about the sermon and thinking about it debriefing it what questions did it raise for us but um and it was such a good sermon and i'm really excited for this conversation but really like important things first tomorrow is major's birthday yes and he's going to be four like are we having a birthday party what's the theme like let's hit the high points here well yeah yes we are having a birthday party and we're doing it in the morning 9 30 to 11 30 because we went to um kid's birthday it was awesome because it was like a it was like a finite amount of time it's in the morning it doesn't get drawn out so we we decided we were going to be kind to our friends and um got about 50 people coming it's quite it's turned into quite an event but i gotta say the um if anybody needs a birthday cake out there i highly recommend i can eat a cakes um in roswell i mean she made major a robot cake it's got chocolate it's it's epic it's really awesome so the theme is robots and we're gonna have a robot snowball fight so you i don't know if you can you can get these like cotton snowballs they're like the size of baseballs but they're really soft so we got like a thousand of these and so we're going to give them to the kids and then they can just play snow like have a snowball fight uh (laughs) in georgia and uh with no snow and so we're going to do that and then um you know we've got my wife found like these like it's like portable coffee like they'll they, they set up like an espresso machine and they will serve as many like lattes and cappuccinos and stuff so we're doing that and then like light orders, probably some uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, chicken nuggets, you know, the nugget platter. Lindsay, I know that's close to your heart. And um, and it's great. And, you know, a major is just, you know, because he's at four, I think, is right when you really start getting excited about your birthday and you're, and you're having your friends over. And so um, it's all kind of awkward, though, because I don't know a lot of his friends, his parents. So that's mm-hmm. kind of weird. Um, so I'll try to be my sociable you'll have to behave (laughs) yeah but it's like so cold we've so we've got an outdoor like fire uh place that we can run and we've also bought a heater so that's actually what i was just putting to help my father-in-law put that together so because it is going to be cold yes we have an outdoor heater too we actually use a lot you'll get a lot of use out of that that's very fun good good. i I wish you would have offered to let me borrow yours so i didn't have to buy one 
well, you didn't ask. So here we are. <laughs> I had to buy it. Fair enough. Um, and what's also very cool is with Major's birthday being on MLK Day, is that Major's name is actually connected to MLK too. So that's very cool. Do you want to tell everybody? Yeah, so uh, good memory, uh, Lindsay. So um, yeah, and if for folks who don't know, my wife was an African-American studies and religion major in undergrad. So it's something we kind of bonded over. Um, you know, obviously she's grew up in Atlanta. So King was very relevant and her sister's a civil rights historian. Um, but yeah, so one of uh, King's famous uh, speeches is called the drum major's instinct. And he builds this image of, you know, the drum major is out in front of everybody. And he says, be a drum major for justice. Um, not, not to draw attention to yourself, but to, for equality and these great um, values that, uh, that Martin Luther King lived for and eventually died for. Um, so that's, that's one of the way, reasons uh, we chose his name. And, and also when Major came out, the doctor was like, oh my God, that's a lot of baby. <laughs> Which my wife loves me sharing with me. So. <laughs> Well, and if Major takes out of after his dad, there's a that's a major personality too. So no, just all yeah, he's, there. yeah. There's not a lot of little personalities in our family, so it's uh, it's kind of a fight for space in airtime. time. Oh, well, happy birthday to him, and um, I know that's so fun for your family. Thank you. Okay. You mean a lot to us. You baptized both are. Um, well, I guess you didn't baptize, but you gave that great. Uh, homily and a great prayer it was an end letter yes uh, it was legendary so the, the, the lindsey the lindsey special so <laughs> we appreciate you it was very special uh, okay so powerful sermon today also pulling in lots of mlk today but really as we've begun for anyone who is um, behind on the sermons you can also get those on this podcast list um, but we are kicking off the year by studying uh, Genesis and working our way through Genesis. Last week, you talked about creation, and today you got into the fall, which is super intense. Um, which, anyway, so many just really amazing quotes from today. But I want to start our conversation because I just want to make sure I got to hear the sermon twice, and it's so powerful, but I think it's so um, foundational to your whole message. But at one point when you're talking about the fall, the, this chapter three of Genesis, and you talk about the different words people use for it. And so you used words like myth, saga, narrative, story, and those words just mean such different things to different people. And, um, and you made such a good point about that, but I, I just feel like it's so foundational to understanding this whole passage. So I just wanted to go back and kind of talk about how this story is a myth, a saga, a narrative, a story, um, and are you saying that means it's not true, which I, this is not what you said in your sermon necessarily, but just go back and hit that point. Cause I think it's so important. Yeah. So, I mean, there's places on the internet, you can see people getting really worked up. Like, was there really, um, an Adam and Eve, um, you know, and, you know, people are, there had to be an Adam and Eve or, you know, the Bible's not true, or it doesn't matter. There was an Adam and Eve. And I, you know, as I said, I, I think the story is about us. It's about humanity and not necessarily, um, I don't think trying to get back to the original human beings. Um, you know, there's some readings of this story that this is, you know, like in evolution when the um, human beings had a conscience, okay, this idea that we knew right from wrong. And maybe that's um, the emergence, this story is about the emergence of 
uh, having a, a moral conscience um, in the world. But C.S. Lewis says it's the one true myth. Um, so he's, he's, they're trying to watch it walk a knife edge where they're saying it's true, but it's not true like historical fact, like we would tell history as modern people. Um, or the, some people say it's a history-like narrative. So it's a story, but it's it's got layers of um, kind of mythic, you know, you've got a talking serpent, right? Um, and a lot of people make the mistake, they think that's Satan. Well, that's that was a much later kind of um, edition. I think, I think with like Augustine and Milton and stuff like that. So um, you've got the man and the woman who are later referred to as uh, Adam and Eve. But you notice in the story, it's just the man and the woman. And I mentioned last week that that word for um, the man is, uh, it starts out Adam, ha-Adam, the human. Okay? And only it becomes a proper name later. Okay? But the, the, the human, the Ha Adam is created out of the Adama. So you see right there the poetic nature of the text when you start reading in Hebrew. And a lot of us, I just think, forget that it was, you know, we see it in English and we're like, oh, this, it's too, it's so familiar to us that when you see it in Hebrew, it kind of puts some distance and you see how it's a poetic theological story, um, which doesn't make it any less true, um, but it's not true in the sense, in my reading, of you know, a modern history that we would tell about like George Washington or, you know, um, you know, Mother Teresa. It, it, it's, it's different in that way, but that doesn't even make it any less true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, I think and Bart and Bart uses saga, S-A-G-A. -A. He kind of invents a whole kind of genre. He refers to it as saga, that there's these saga stories, especially in the Old Testament that are history-like, but they're not history. And they're not meant to be. And mm -hmm. the biblical writers wouldn't have seen them as such either. And so we need to kind of read them through the biblical writer's lens and as much as we can. I think it's much more helpful that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's really, really important. And so the very first time someone suggested some of that tension to me, we were in seminary and we were talking about a question that I actually am going to ask you in just a minute because it's about this very thing. But someone said, well, that that question that I'm about to ask you in a minute um, presupposes that Adam and Eve were actual real humans. And I was like, wait, wait, what, what? And so, um, and so the way that you put it, I thought was so helpful and walking through it that way, I think is so helpful for us to understand that really that story is about us, that there, it is, it's true, but that doesn't, whether it's historically factual is a whole different it doesn't need to be because what that's not what it's trying to convey to us. Yeah. So that I, I love the way you put all that. Well, thank you. So here's the question. So at this time, when I'm in seminary, the John Eldridge book is super popular. Wild at Heart. Are you familiar? Oh, with yeah. Yeah. I haven't read it, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, it was super popular. Everybody was reading it. Um, lots of book studies going on. And, and it, you know, there were a lot of things in there that were really important for a lot of people, especially men. I think that there was something um, that in there that really spoke to men and kind of called them to, to own their faith um, in a way that's maybe particular to man, men. But so I read it to try and understand what was going on. And it, there's plenty of it that's totally fine. But there was one thing I got super like, wait a minute, what theologically is this a thing? Mm -hmm. So according to John Eldridge, that um, because the woman ate 
ate, no. Yeah, because the woman ate the fruit first. There was a time when women were fallen and men were not. So I just am curious as we're reading the story and as you're kind of debriefing this, um, the, the story for us theologically, like how does what you say fit into that or doesn't fit into that? What You just reflect on that concept with me for a minute. Yeah, I, I would not subscribe to that. I don't think that's a very helpful way to read the story. And I think the story is clearly not making that point. Um, there's actually a, an interesting book I read my early 20s called The Silence of Adam. And it's built all of the Adam, you know, the text, it says, and he was with her, but he mm -hmm. remained silent, you know? Um, so in some sense, we could say he was just as culpable because he didn't, um, through his sin of omission, you know, by not doing something that he was required, that he should have done. Um, that that's uh, So I think he's just as culpable as her. And, and, and the, the point is that human beings are, Actually, I don't even like the word fallen because fallen is um, kind of a platonic idea or neoplatonic idea that, you know, we were in like a state of grace and we fell and now, and now, you know, we're trying to get back to escape the world. But, and that's a very platonic idea that the world of the forms as Plato talked about his allegory of the cave that we want to get out of it. But the biblical story is very different. God comes to earth. God creates creation and calls it good that's one of the reasons i really want to emphasize that sin does it disfigures and it cracks creation but creation is still good mm. right? and we were made for this world and we were um we created out of the dirt the dust and um and i think but we still participate by the misuse of human freedom in breaking and, and, and through sin and stuff like that but i don't yeah, so that's my reading of that text. Um, yeah, John, uh, I, you know, part of me is like, I, I, I want to be careful. I don't say too much about Wild Hearts. I don't know all that much about it, but it's like the prayer of Jabez. Um, you know, anything that hits like pop Christianity. Um, uh oh. We can still hear you. Okay, you can. Oh, sorry, yeah. my screen just froze. Um, anything that like makes it like pop spirituality pop christianity oftentimes i just find is fairly thin theologically um and not really it's good as like self-help motivation but not theologically precise and <laughs> and i'm just the kind of person that like i'd prefer to read hardcore theology than some self-help book mm -hmm. um although i've learned a lot from self-help stuff but sure. um i don't when i think about the you know the theological implications of the fall and the rebellion of adam and eve i don't i don't turn to those kinds of books you know we look at carl bart you know lewis sarah coakley marilyn robinson people like this mm -hmm. really um trying to make sense of it within the broader kind of conversation about science creation human rights, I mean, all justice, all these kinds of things. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. I I mean, I like I said, Wild at Heart, I think for a lot of people, men in particular, like it called them back into, it called them to faith, it um, brought, maybe brought them back into church or into a, a group of faith, but um, I, I obviously did not agree with that particular theological point. Um, and, and what's more, what, what, 
what troubled me more was by saying that, by saying that there was a point in time when women were fallen and men were not, then it delineates men and women. Like it, it adds an extra layer of fallenness, mm-hmm. <laughs> brokenness, sinfulness to women um, than it does to men, which again, back to your original point, I, I don't think that that's what the story is trying to convey to us. I don't, I don't think that's what we're trying to, to move. Although, and you and I talked about this earlier, I do think there are some things that this passage does tell us about women um, and, and their role mm-hmm. or whatever. So um, let's talk about that. And what does this, pa- what does the passage say then about women and how they fit into all this? Yeah. So I think, I, I think an important point to make, and I didn't make this in the message either last week or this week, is that gender is part of a creative reality. Okay. It's, um, it's part of creation. And so there's some fluidity to, um, and just, you know, how gender is understood across time in different cultures, you know, in 14th century India, it was very different than it is in modern America. And I think to let the diversity, that's okay. Okay. And that that's played out. But now this story has been used to justify oppression of women. Um, and I think probably has come under quite a bit of critique um, and people want to do away with the Bible. But I think on a closer reading of this story, it actually shows something really interesting. So if you read the story, okay, last week we saw in, the, in Genesis 2 that the, the woman that Isha is created out of... Um, it's actually Adam, out of his rib is created Ish and Isha, okay, the man and the woman, okay, and they're living together, everything's good, and then, and then the fall or the rebellion happens in Genesis 3, and then what God says as part of the punishment for their disobedience was, um, you shall, you shall, he says to the woman, because he gives punishment on the serpent, the man, and the woman, and to the woman, he says, um, you, your, your heart will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So there we see that hierarchy, whether between, um, between genders is a part of the punishment mm-hmm. for disobedience. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the consequences of sin. Now let's fast forward to the new Testament. Okay. New Testament. What has Jesus done? He's defeated the powers of sin. That's why we talk about a new creation. Mm-hmm. And he is, and so that punishment, that hierarchy is no longer valid for the people of God, that it's equality. Okay? Mm-hmm. And this is why you can see um, in, you know, Paul, he talks about, um, you know, Lydia, he talks about um, uh, his friends, he ta- uh, um, various women, he affirms. Um, and that's why in our tradition, we affirm, Lindsay, you are called just as much as I am called to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And just because I'm a man does not make me any better than you, mm-hmm. um, or more qualified to preach or more qualified to read the Bible or interpret or lead or, uh, moderate a session meeting. You're just as called. Okay. And I think a lot of people, um, have not fully lived into that. Uh, that new creation, that equality we have in Jesus Christ, that there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free, Mm -hmm. that in our baptismal identity, we are all one in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And now people say, well, what, what about Paul says, you know, 
wives submit to your husbands. Well, if I go to another wedding and they quote from that and they don't quote from the verse that precedes it, right? where they've conveniently edited, right? So oftentimes it says, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm -hmm. That's the thesis. And then these other things are um, ways to understand that general thesis that we ought to submit to one another and serve each other out of reverence for Christ. Okay. And then when Paul says, um, so, uh, sometimes he, he does, when women wear head coverings or, or um, be quiet in church, I think he's speaking pastorally to a particular situation. He's not making a theological general claim. Okay. Just like sometimes you got to be like, Jeff, you need to be quiet. You're not helping the company. You're distracting people. Okay. That's not, you're not saying Jeff never talk. You're saying at this moment, it's not appropriate for you to talk. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I think that's what Paul's saying in these uh, in two or three different places. And I think first and second Timothy. Um, but yeah, that Ephesians passage just always gets me worked up. Cause so I'm like, read the Bible better. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you already know this is a hot topic for me. I did my uh, thesis on this before. And I actually, in the thesis, I used the, just exactly like you're talking about, I used the Genesis passage to demonstrate what is what has God intended for us? And then what is a result kind of of the rebellion of the brokenness of the world? And, um, and, and anytime we're viewing someone as lesser than um, based on their gender or other things like that, then that is a result of brokenness of the world and not how God had created it or intended it to be. I was talking to a friend of mine. He went to a wedding and they used that Ephesians passage. And so he said in the wedding that the pastor was like, looked at the woman and said, woman's name, do you want to be a good wife? And she said, yes, of course. And he said, then you need to be more feminine. And the way you do that, and he starts going off about like cooking dinner and all these things. (laughs) It's like that if cooking dinner makes someone a good woman, I am in so much trouble because I don't even yeah. know the last time that I cooked dinner that, especially one that was tasty. So he said after that, he keeps every, he takes pictures of his wife doing stuff and he's like, look, my wife is being feminine. It's a so good good. Wife. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, so, you know, some people want to define, you know, husband and wives according to roles. Right. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's helpful. I mean, maybe at one time culturally that was, you know, kind of fitting. But nowadays, I think it's competitive advantage. What What are you good at? Yeah, yeah. What are yeah. you? If you're good at that, then you should specialize that, and I should specialize in what I'm good at, and that'll make us all better. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you know, if it says, "Oh, because I'm the man, um, I need to like, whatever it might be, cut the grass or work on my car or whatever," and because you're the woman, you need to cook for me or whatever. Now, it so happens that in my house, my wife does do the cooking and I'm not allowed, but I do the dishwashing. That's mm-hmm. just, I'm, I'm a very good dishwasher. That's, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I, and I think it's just help, more helpful uh, in a relationship to say, um, to get to know someone and to fall in love with someone, um, not because they fit a role, but because you get to know them as a, a human being, as an image bearer of God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which again, takes us right back to this image bearer of God. That's beautiful because that's what we need. That I think that's what this passage is reminding us is how important it is to see others as an image bearer of God. And when we don't, anytime that we don't see that in someone else, then that that's a result of that brokenness. That's what's yeah. 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 
Okay. Super quick. Cause I know we're running out of time, but I, I never thought about this. I thought this was one of the most thought provoking sentences. I think is actually a quote, but my notes aren't great. Um, that I think you were quoting Augustine and you said that sin is the only verifiable doctrine. Uh, that was Reinhold Niebuhr. Niebuhr. That's right. That's right. You did say Niebuhr. So, okay. So remind me the full quote again. So I think he says, um, the only, uh, original sin is the only empirically verifiable doctrine in the Christian faith. Yeah, that was good. And so Niebuhr was active in the 20th century. He was, um, he was a pastor in Detroit for a while, and then he taught at Union Seminary. Um, his legacy is kind of a, um, uh, the neoconservative movement, okay? And Niebuhr starts out as a pacifist and eventually becomes a just, we call it just warrior. So he argued according to the just war tradition. He, he believed, he was like the great kind of theologian of sin. And that he believed that the world was fallen and that, but we still had to act in the world. Okay. And so he was, he, um, he wrote, I mean, nature and destiny of man. Probably his most famous book is moral man immoral society. So he says that human beings as individuals are very, we, we can act with love and compassion, but it's very hard for large groups of people to do so as such. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's where he gets moral man, immoral society. And I mean, the guy could write, I mean, he just, he's eminently quotable. Um, now I just, he, he would debate with Karl Barth quite a bit. Um, and Niebuhr, you know, Niebuhr was, <laughs> You know, he was, he support endorsed, um, you know, warfare more than Karl Barth would, would have. I mean, I, I learned a lot from him. I think he's really great uh, in some ways, but um, also flawed in some others. But he's still, you know, I think, um, I think Barack Obama, President Barack Obama said, I mean, Ronald Niebuhr was the most important and influential um, Christian on his thinking. So yeah. like his political kind of theology. And so. He's still very relevant. Um, he ran, yeah, he ran a, a journal, I think called Crisis in Christianity. Um, very interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. But he wrote, oh, like, he, so he wrote that, um, I think it was Ryan. He had a brother named H. Richard, H. Richard Niebuhr. And I sometimes I get the two confused, but I think Reinhold wrote the, um, the prayer that they pray at, um, God, what's it called at uh, AA meetings? It's that, oh. you know, yes. The, it's kind of like our prayer confession. That oh, yeah, pray. yeah. That is because, um, yeah, well, you said that. You said that in the sermon today. Yeah, that yeah that's Niebuhr. On Niebuhr. Yeah. He wrote that. That we'll have the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good. good. Yeah. And also, by the way, um, I know you already know this because you were in both services, but the liturgy today was gorgeous. And so major shout out to Betsy and Trenton and the people who pull that together and write it. And oh, just yeah, so many, I mean, like, you know, the sermons on sin, it's MLK weekend. Like there's just all these really major themes and they just did some beautiful prayers. So yeah, if, beautiful. Um, if, if you are listening and you did not have a chance to attend worship, go back and listen to the prayers because they're just so gorgeous. Absolutely. And then and I, and the choir at uh, 11 was fantastic. I mean, oh, I hate, I, I was in there, the but it was, they were whew, nice on fire. It was great. Nice. Um, okay. Next week, big topic next week. What's going on next week in, in worship? What are you preaching on? Okay. So we're going to do um, the story of Cain and Abel. And what I've, 
and we'll spend some time there, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna branch out quite a bit and we're gonna kind of do a survey of families in the Bible. And what I wanna challenge is kind of this conception of biblical family values. And what that often is used to describe, I think is not always very biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. And I think it's, I don't want to get, I don't want to show my cards too much, but I think it's been used to make people feel shame, guilty. Um, and it's not a helpful way to think about families or relationships. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. So I look forward to it. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. Okay, good. Okay, good. Well, I'll make sure my family is there to listen. Maybe they can be more biblical. Well, you know, I'm going to start off with the Tolstoy quote that he starts Anna Karenina off with it. You know, happy families are all the same. Unhappy families are unhappy in their own unique way. Uh And what is he saying there? He's saying there's like one way to be happy. A thousand things have to go right to be happy for Mm -hmm. a family. Mm -hmm. But there are almost an infinite number of ways for a family to be unhappy. You know, anything. And I think... Tolstoy is getting at a really great truth there, but what does that mean for our families? How do we, how do we manage it? How do we um, understand uh, our relationships? And so I want to explore that. I haven't done all my thinking about it, but I'm excited to get into it uh, this week. Okay, good. Good. We'll be looking forward to it. Thanks for um, meeting a day early so we can record a day early. Um, Typically we record on Mondays, but with the MLK holiday tomorrow, we decided to record today. And um, next week, we're going to record at a different time as well, because we'll be in staff meeting on Monday at noon. So um, we'll, we'll figure that out and make sure people know when that one will be posted as well. But cool. thanks so much for this conversation, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lindsay. appreciate you and appreciate your ministry, even though you're a woman. <laughs> yes, I, <can. laughs> uh, I kid, I kid. All right. Have a great week. Thank you. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye.